I'm an adrenaline junkie. I suppose that's a good way to start this. My thoughts are a bit jumbled, so you'll have to bear with me. Chasing the high is how I spent all of my time. I'd skip out on bills if it meant I could afford going on one of the few escape rooms in the country I hadn't been to yet. That was my biggest hobby for a time. Skydiving and other daredevil-esque activities had stopped working a long time ago. They're always the same thing. If you've done it once, you've done it a million times. Escape rooms, though, they had a few puzzles to figure out each time. I guess it was only a matter of time before I'd grow out of that as well. At the age of 23, I discovered urban exploration. In my mind, this was basically the same thing as the escape rooms, except there aren't any actors. The dangers of being caught and fined only fueled the fire in me more. I made it my mission to find and document spirits. Of course, this was better in my head than it did in execution. Try and try, I might, but I couldn't find anything worth sharing with the world. Name almost any haunted place in the USA. I've been there, found nothing, and went home with doubts. Sure, I have some stories. One time I fell into an open elevator shaft and caught a rusted wire to save myself. It sounded cooler on paper. I promise. Another time I heard footsteps and voices on the floor above me in the abandoned asylum, ran up, and was met with another group. Disappointment isn't a strong enough word. Up until recently, the scariest encounter I ever had was stumbling upon a deranged homeless man who had chased me out of an old farmhouse with a knife. That one revived my interest for a time. At least until I realized the odds of something like this happening again was slim to none. If you couldn't tell, I had a bit of a problem. Some would call me insane. For this reason, I had no friends, and my family avoided me like the plague. That was okay. I understood. My lifestyle is a lot to keep up with, so I stay busy either way. Well, I guess I did have one friend, even though I had never met him in person. We got to know each other through an urban exploration forum. If you thought I was obsessed, this guy brought it to a whole nother level. His name was Derek. After a few interactions, we gave each other our real-life phone numbers, and we kept each other updated on our findings. This guy had the lowdown on everything. He knew of places Google didn't even know about. I lost countless jobs due to this lifestyle, it's tough finding an employer who won't get mad at me for leaving days at a time with no warning. How I made it work for as long as I did is just as much of a mystery to me as it probably is to you. Call it good luck in the getting hired department or something. If I lost a job, I could find another one pretty quick. Of course, this meant I never worked anywhere prestigious. But hey, if I ever caught something worthwhile on camera... Maybe I could set myself up for a while. As you can assume, this started seeming more and more like a fairy tale day by day. My belief in the paranormal had dwindled to near absolute zero. I went a while wondering what was next for me. Doubt I'd find the next high creeping more and more into my subconscious every day. I was 25 now. I had spent two years wasting my life and had nothing to show for it. Just a sketchy job history and an empty bank account. It's not like I could do much with all of my footage either. What was I going to do? Incriminate myself by publishing video of me breaking into almost every place of interest in the U.S.? Surprisingly, I began to accept my fate. 
It was finally time to nut up and fix my life. For a few weeks, I tried reconnecting with my family and got back on speaking terms with most of them. My old friends gave me the silent treatment, but honestly, I didn't blame them. Life was going okay for a time. That is, until I got a text from Derek. It read, Hey, Tom, I got intel on an abandoned asylum in Montana. I know those are your favorite. Going to check it out in a week. It's supposed to be the real deal. Many missing person cases in the area. I'll send you the coordinates, so if you don't hear from me, you know where to look. You know me, though. I always carry. Attached was an image with the coordinates. I'd be lying if I said his text didn't pique my interest, especially considering I live in northern Idaho, and this place wasn't all that far away. I've traveled all the way across the country before. This would be nothing. But my life was finally starting to move forward. I couldn't let this stop. Plus, I knew Derek would update me if he found anything. Even if there wasn't, he'd text something like, it was a bust, or something along those lines. Fast forward two weeks, I'm ashamed to say I had spent every day that last week waiting for an update. It was getting to me, so I texted Derek. Hey Derek, find anything in Montana? It wasn't like him to not update right away. As I said, he was really into this stuff and it was like he couldn't wait to tell me everything once he returned home. I wouldn't have been surprised if I got a response within a few minutes. Fast forward another two weeks and no response ever came. This left me with a moral dilemma. What if something did happen to Derek? What if he needed my help? The adrenaline-fueled habits returned to my mind, and I'm sure you can guess what happens next. This story wouldn't exist if I didn't do exactly what you expect. I had no info on the asylum other than its location. It would have to do. I began the drive around noon. I'll spare you the nonsense of my driving excursion, considering I was held up a number of times by different annoyances. I arrived at 10 p.m. It was completely dark, just the way I like it. Arriving, it was a one-way-in, one-way-out road that was roughly five miles if I had to guess. The place was eerie, to say the least. This place was decrepit. The windows were still intact, surprisingly. It was six stories. The asylum was massive. Pulling into the giant gravel parking lot, there were no other cars in sight. Okay, so maybe nothing happened to Derek. His car would still be here if he was, right? There's always the off chance he could have hit his car, but considering the desolation of the surroundings, there'd be no point. I grabbed my camera and began to walk. Reaching the steps, I felt a chill. How I miss that feeling. Always worth checking if the front door is accessible. A lot can be told by whether or not front doors are unlocked. If they were unlocked, it could be a hot spot for locals. If not, it could be moderately patrolled. The giant double door swung wide without a budge. I was instantly hit with the smell of rot. This wasn't just normal rot. Trust me, over the past couple years, I had smelled it all. This was putrid, like iron mixed with literal crap. Naturally, it was dark, but my military-grade flashlight lit the place up like it was daylight. My handheld cannon also had night vision, so seeing was no issue. In the main room, there was a front desk and three hallways, one leading straight and one to either side of me. Odd. 
Usually there would be stairs here, but judging by the outside, this building could be older than any other I'd explored yet. I couldn't wait to see what I could find. Figuring the front doors were placed dead center, I decided to flip a coin. Heads I'd go right, tails I'd go left. I fished out a quarter and flipped it. Missing the catch, the quarter bounced off the ground. The sound echoed down all three hallways. It seemed to never end. Once the sound reached what seemed to be forever away, the sound started echoing back towards me. I'm no expert, but this didn't seem right. I was then smacked square in the forehead by something. It stung like hell. I heard the quarter hit the ground again. What the hell? Did the quarter just come flying down the hallway and hit me? No way it could bounce at the velocity I was hit with. Not that the former made sense either. Anybody with a logical brain would have left right then and there. But I was intrigued, not scared. Dreams of catching something and becoming famous began flooding my mind in the same way it used to. I shined the flashlight down to my feet to find the quarter. Yep, this place must be the real deal. The quarter was sitting on its side. I don't know the odds of that happening. I've never seen that before. I thought for a second. If I was hit in the forehead while facing forward, and going forward was never an option, something really wanted me to go that way. If I was going to catch something on film, that would be the way to go. So forward I went. I walked about a hundred yards when I came across stairs leading up. The building really was bigger on the inside, maybe literally because there was a still a lot of hallway to go. I ascended the stairs and reached the second floor. Looking back, I don't know how I didn't find it odd that the building was six stories, but these stairs only went up one floor. I was met with another hallway. Doors to individual rooms were littered both ways. Wheelchairs and other expected debris were littered everywhere. I decided to head right, the same direction I was heading on the first floor. I was curious how long this hallway really went. I pivoted to the right, and this is where things get real. Ten feet in front of me was a girl in a nightgown, long black hair covering her face. Holy shit, I caught something. I checked the camera and she showed up a clear as day. Ma'am, do you need help? I asked. I was ecstatic. This is something no one has ever captured before. The clearest footage possible. This was bound to go viral. I took a couple steps toward her. Leave, she whispered. I couldn't think of much to say, but I managed a quick, Why? Leave. Leave while you have the chance. You don't have much time, she said. What do you mean? I asked. This was unreal. Not only did I capture a spirit on film, but I was having a conversation with it. Derek wasn't kidding, I mumbled under my breath. Derek didn't listen either. She instantly whispered. Wait, what does she mean? Derek didn't listen. This was everything I'd ever hoped for, but if the spirits here are this bold, why did Derek never say anything? I bet he was at home thinking about how to publish his own footage right now. That dickhead. He was going to become famous first. I can't believe he didn't tell me about this. Money does strange things to people. In retrospect, I realize now this ideology applied to no one more than it did me. 
The magnitude of the situation hit me like a ton of bricks. I am speaking to a spirit, face to face. She has told me to leave. Here I am just filming it like an idiot. Maybe I should go. I checked the camera again to make sure I was still capturing this. I was. I have what I need. Maybe I should just go. I took a step back and the woman let out a scream and ran into the room closest to her. Okay, yeah. I'm leaving. This is too much even for me. I turned around, and before I could even react, I was cold clocked across the head. I hit the ground. The camera and flashlight flew out of my hand. I didn't try to retrieve them. I got back on my feet and took a few steps back. Standing in front of me was a man dressed as a surgeon. He was muscular. Too muscular. This guy made Arnold look small. The look in his eyes was crazed, to say the least. In his hand was a giant knife. I turned around and continued down the hallway as fast as I could. I could hear him running, trailing behind, but he seemed to be slower than me. I ran for what seemed to be ages, until I came to a cafeteria. It was what you'd imagined it to be. It was what you'd imagined it to be. Large and open. I'd be trapped if I stayed, but I couldn't turn around now. The surgeon was still stomping his way down the hall. The kitchen was my only option. I hopped through the serving window and was impressed by the size of this kitchen. I chose to hide inside one of the ovens. There were five ovens in total and everything else was too wide open to risk. I climbed in the last one and held my breath the best I could. The surgeon entered maybe 30 seconds later. He was searching everything, pulling counters off the walls with brute strength and flipping them over. He got to the ovens and searched the first, then the second, third, fourth. He placed his hands on the door from mine, and that's when I heard something clatter in the cafeteria. He must have heard it too because he let out a guttural scream and released the oven to find the source. I might be saved. I waited about five minutes before I finally climbed out. I don't know what the sound that spared my life in that moment was, but I wasn't going to stand around to question it. I creeped back to the haunting hallway and walked as lightly as I could to find the stairs. I was going to get out of here, now. A long while in, I was met once again by the woman. You need to hurry, she told me. How much farther do I have? I questioned. You're getting close to the stairs. Stay quiet, and once you reach the first floor, run. Each floor has an evil entity haunting it. This floor is the safest. The entity on the first floor is not as dumb as this one. Stay safe. There are hundreds of us trapped here. Now go. I wanted to ask her why she was helping me, but she was gone once again. I eventually saw something shining in the distance. It was my flashlight. I could start running, grab my camera that had to be near, and get out of here. I began my jog, but just as I did, I heard that scream again. The silhouette of the surgeon was on the other side of the flashlight. He was closer to it than I. But remembering how slow he was, I might be able to outrun him. I knew what was behind me, and I couldn't risk getting caught again with nowhere to hide. I sprinted faster than I ever have in my life. His pace quickened as well. For a time it looked like I might beat him. But once I got closer, I realized the flashlight must have flown pretty far. He was going to beat me. I'm screwed. I'd have to risk juking him, 
There was no other option. I had never felt this kind of adrenaline before. We met at the stairs at the same time, and I went to dive down the steps, but it was useless. He caught me and slammed me to the ground. He was too powerful. He slammed the knife into my chest, and I felt cold liquid cover my torso. Tom! Someone yelled. Next thing I knew, someone tackled the surgeon off of me. I scrambled to my feet and flew down the steps, not questioning why they knew my name. I reached the first floor and began another mad dash to escape this hell. The floor was littered with blood. It was everywhere. I could hear hundreds of voices telling me to run. It was overbearing, but I did just that. I reached the doors, went through them like they weren't even there, and flew down the steps. Then, I hit an invisible wall. Looking out into the parking lot, there were cars everywhere, mine included. I suppose I got everything I ever hoped for. It wasn't worth it, though, because in the end, it cost me my life. Some people grow up in the city. Some people grow up in the middle of nowhere. I like to believe both have their perks and fallbacks. Growing up in the city might mean you miss out on roaming the town with your friends, free of adult supervision. Growing up in a small town surrounded by everyone-knows-everyone community ensures many dangers are overlooked. I grew up in a small town and always pitied those who missed out on the freedoms I was blessed with. That is until that day. You see, I never imagined anything bad could happen to me. No one ever does, I suppose. Sure, we had some urban legends, like how the abandoned church had a female spirit that could be seen in the bell tower at midnight. This myth was ultimately busted by a few of my buddies and I, breaking in and climbing it ourselves, for that up-close-and-personal view. We never saw anything, but Robert swore he did. He took off running down the steps, screaming, and when we finally caught up with him, he was outside dry-heaving and had pissed his pants. Unless spirits have the ability to control a living person's bladder, this turned out just to be a rumor to scare us. Needless to say, he was made fun of endlessly for getting scared about nothing. Robert was always the type to try to scare us. He was a practical joker, and though no one else thought so, I thought he was just trying to really sell it. Looking back on it, I think peeing himself would have been too far to bring a joke. The thing that did scare me, however, was the cornfields. If the adults and older kids really wanted to scare us, this would have been a more efficient way to do it. For context of the story, this takes place in the late 90s. I was 14 and pretty much free of any of the few strict rules my parents had on me. Again, I lived in a tiny town. The population was just over 1,000, nestled into the middle of nowhere, Minnesota. Summers were always the best. No school, no responsibilities, endless land to explore, and a close group of friends I could always count on to be available. My best buddy Cole lived two miles out of town. Cole was a no-bullshit, straightforward guy. Even so... He was the type of person to have on your side, because he'd get to the bottom of anything. We always had the best time on his family's farm. Four-wheelers, go-karts. Hell, if we were lucky, we'd even get to drive his brother's old Bronco. 
and rip up the land behind the small forest in his backyard. You're probably wondering how this ties in with the overall story. Well, I'd often hang out until late at night, sometimes as late as 1 or 2 a.m. This would mean I'd have to bike a lonely, desolate road to get back home, surrounded by cornfields on both sides. I'd also have to pass an old graveyard around the halfway point. That part, unsurprisingly, never really bothered me. The only fortunate part about any of this was Cole's long driveway that I could use to gain as much speed as I could to bolt those two miles. Riding in the middle of the night alone, I don't think paranoia is unreasonable. This goes beyond paranoia. I thought I could swear I sensed something else with me. Every single time, it gets worse. Have you ever driven past cornfields with the passenger window down? If you haven't, try it sometime. You'll notice the sound of your tires reverberates through the stalks of corn. Now imagine that, but on a bike, by yourself, in the middle of the night. The sound was strikingly similar to as if someone was running through the cornfield alongside me. Again, this was the 90s, so it's not like I could really research wavelengths in the corn. Being a 14-year-old kid with a chip on his shoulder, I wasn't going to confess my paranoia to anyone either. I remember how much fun everyone made of Robert for pissing himself. What would they say to me if I spoke about this? So I did what anybody with a brain would do. I tried my best to ignore it. Moving on. It was a night in August. Clear skies and no wind. I'll spare you the details of the day. To summarize, I went out to Cole's around 5 p.m. We spent the day riding the trails we had built and played Super Nintendo late into the night. Cole was passing all of my high scores in every game we played. I didn't mind, but he kept on insisting I was getting mad about it. I wasn't. Time flew by and before I knew it, it was 1am. It was time to go. Staying the night would have been preferred because my nerves were on high alert, like a sixth sense. But staying the night wasn't something we ever did, for some reason or another. We said our goodbyes, and I stepped out into the cool night hopped on my bike and gained my usual speed, and I was off. I got about a quarter mile down the road, still pedaling as hard as I could. The sounds from the cornfield were overbearing. You would have sworn Cole's a dog was running with me just one row in. The smart thing to do would be to not think about it, keep pedaling and keep my eyes on the road. The sound, though, it was getting to me. It was driving me mad. I slowed my pace a bit, and with it the sound died down with a speed. Okay, it's just the noise of my bike. The next thing that happened should have been a red flag. The noise stopped, completely. I look over at the cornfield and nothing looks off. Despite all logic, I felt relief. I take my eyes off the cornfield and put them straight ahead once more. Right in front of me was a black figure... I had no time to react, but I was clotheslined off of my bike. I hit the ground hard. I was dazed, and it sounded like a flashbang had gone off. Knowing I was in danger, I tried to get back on my feet and run, but my attempt was fruitless. I was being dragged by my foot towards the cornfield. I didn't take the time to look at this thing. I started kicking and flailing, doing anything to make it lose the grip it had on me. I lunged myself forward with my hands 
and kicked out with my free leg as hard as I could, connecting with the face of this thing. Its grip slipped, and it fell backwards with my shoe. I got off and took off running. I didn't take the time to figure out which direction I was facing. Instead, I just ran. I could hear it gaining on me. The footsteps were rapidly approaching. I saw a single light in front of me. It was the graveyard. I knew there was no way this would help me, but I at least know I was halfway. Reaching the graveyard and standing in front of its gates, completely exhausted, I realized the footsteps had completely disappeared. Where did it go? My question was soon answered when I saw the creature's silhouette just past the graveyard, standing in the road. What was I going to do? I turned around, thinking about running back to my friends, but as I did so, I heard the same noise in the cornfield. The fastest I had heard it yet. Within what had to be two seconds, it was now standing in the road between Cole's house and I. How was it so fast? This can't be the end. I have so much more life to live. The odd thing was, it just stood there, as if it was waiting for me. Out of options, I stood staring at the silhouette for what had to be ten minutes. I felt sick. I was going to pass out. Whether that be from the fall, the exhaustion, or fear. I leaned up against the gate, slouched down, and collapsed. I awoke some time later. It's impossible to tell you how long I was out for, or if I had passed out. I don't know. But when I glanced up, I finally got my first real look at the creature. His head was poking through the cornstalks across the street. He had on a hoodie. He had these bright, glowing white eyes and the widest grin I had ever seen. He looked like a serial killer, about to devour his last meal. I don't know how else to explain that grin. His skin was dark and leathery, as if he had been rotting away for some time. The fear I felt was more than I could take. I passed out once more. I awoke with the biggest headache I had ever experienced. Imagine dropping an anchor on your head. Opening my eyes seemed like a task far too difficult. The memories of the previous night began flooding my mind. It couldn't have been real. Could it? No, there's no way. I'd open my eyes to find myself in bed. Everything would be fine. It had to be a nightmare. Except, my bed isn't this hard and the birds are never this loud. Upon opening my eyes, it was confirmed. It was all real. I jolted up remembering where the man had been, but there was nothing. I walked back to my bike, which was in the middle of the road untouched, and pedaled slowly until I got home. It was apparently still pretty early, just past 7 a.m. to be exact. Too early for my parents to be awake to start getting ready for work. Still exhausted, I lay in my bed, hoping sleep would take me over. It never did. I lied awake in bed all day and passed out later that night. After that night, I became a recluse. The runner, as I would later dub this creature, ran through my mind every single day. I didn't go out anymore that summer, despite friends coming over constantly to check up on me. They'd eventually give up. The same way I gave up making sense of that day's events. School went back in session, and life moved on. You see, legends like this should end after a one-time encounter. The only way these things come back to haunt you is if you let it. 
I made the biggest mistake of my life at the end of that school year. Maybe my second biggest mistake. It's tough to say. Either way, if I would have kept my mouth shut, this would be the end of the story. There's a chance I could have gotten past this at some point. But no, I had to screw it all up. Robert was always a close friend. It was only natural for him to pull me aside one day after school. He cared. He always did. Remembering the incident at the church, I thought he would believe me. If there was someone to open up to, it had to be him. He had me basically pinned in a corner, explained how everyone was concerned about me. He said he just wanted to know what was going on. So I told him everything. It felt good to finally get everything off my chest. He was silent for a time. Turns out I was right to think he'd believe me. He brought up the night at the church. We hung out that night, talked about both of our stories and the lasting effects of them for hours. Summer had started and I still wasn't ready to go out. Robert would come over from time to time and, and I could tell the fact I wouldn't go out bothered him. It built up for a couple months until it was August once more. It was an average day. I had spent my morning reading and playing video games in the living room. It was around 6 p.m. when I got a knock at the door. It was Robert and Cole. I had been right that Robert would trust me. Even so, I was wrong to think he'd keep it to himself. Cole questioned me about that night immediately once I opened the door. Asked me why I let fairy tales get to my head. This was classic Cole behavior. Always the logical, get-to-the-bottom-of-things type. I didn't know what to say. But that didn't matter. He'd already made up his mind on how to bring this to a close. His plan was to bring Robert and I out to the same road there was nothing to be afraid of. It goes without saying that I begged him not to do it. I'm ashamed to say that my pleas came with a few tears. Of course he didn't listen, but what else could I do? I couldn't let him go out there and potentially be killed by the runner. I had to go with him. So he pumped up my bike's long-since-deflated tires waited until 11.50, and set off into the night. My parents, not questioning why, just happy to see me finally leave the confines of their home. The ride out there was silent. No cicadas, no rustling in the corn, no conversation, no anything. Just the sound of our tires on gravel. We were about a hundred yards short of the graveyard when Cole stopped and said, Here. I would have continued my pleas, I would have said anything if I could. But no. I was too terrified to choke out any words. Cole grabbed out his pocket watch and waited until it struck exactly midnight. I assume he was trying to subdue Robert's fears of the church by meeting the specific time of his encounter as well. He began walking into the corn. One step. Two steps. Three steps. He got to nine when he let out a blood-curdling scream. My fight or flight kicked in and I wouldn't let Cole be taken by that thing. I tore into the cornfield after him and found him, laughing. Nothing had happened. He was fine. You really believe this crap, don't you? He said while barely containing tears of laughter. Maybe he was right. Maybe there was nothing to fear, after all. Maybe. Just maybe. I had imagined everything. Even though I was mad about this prank... I felt relieved and let out a nervous giggle of my own. 
We walked back out of the cornfield together and looked up to see Robert standing in the middle of the road, sitting on his bike. That's not funny, Cole, he yelled. We were climbing up the small ditch, looking down at our feet to ensure we wouldn't trip and slide back down. Robert, look out, Cole shouted. Great, another prank. But no, the runner. He was standing right behind Robert. That same sick and twisted grin stretching from ear to ear. Robert never had a chance. The runner grabbed a hold of Robert and began dragging him and his bike into the cornfield. Robert screamed and we tried our damnness to catch up with them. It was useless. Once they were in the corn, they were gone. The runner was fast and had to be dragging him at 60 miles per hour through the corn. Robert's screams continued for minutes on end, miles and miles into the corn. That's the end. Robert was never found. Search parties looked for him for weeks. His parents haven't given up the search to this day. No one ever believed us, and honestly, I don't blame them. I don't know what the runner did with him. Cole never forgave himself and ended up going insane. I guess his logical brain couldn't process it. Maybe the guilt got to him. I don't know. What I do know is that I live as far from corn stalks as I can get. I live in the desert of Nevada now and try my best to lead a normal life day by day. I don't know if the runner is still out there. People go missing without a trace all the time. Perhaps the night of my first encounter, the runner didn't run to the other side of the graveyard. There's a chance it could have been a friend of his. But after seeing how fast he dragged Robert, it's safe to say either is possible. I don't know for sure, and I, and I hope to never find out. I don't have a definite reason as to why the runner didn't take me when I was at the gates of the graveyard either. My best guess is that he can only traverse the cornfields and roads in between. But again, I don't know for certain. So I ask, What do you hear when you're whizzing by a cornfield? Do you hear nothing? Or do you hear the faint sound of footsteps? Which one is worse? Maybe if you hear nothing at all, he has already caught up to you. <laughs>